0: Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne, bringing you conversations with farmhouse cheesemakers and dairy producers. The first Sunday of the month at 7am on your favourite station, 3CR, 3CR digital and 3cr.org.au. Hello listeners, welcome to Herds and Curds on 3CR. Today on the program we welcome Rob Monk of Viking Fleckvie in Gippsland, Victoria. We first heard about Rob and his pasture-based dairy farm on one of our previous programs with Rachel Niederber of Butterfly Factory who is using Rob's milk for her yoghurt and bottled milk production. Carmen had the pleasure of visiting Rob a few months back and participated in the morning milking with him. She chats to him over breakfast, to get some detail on the philosophy of his low-input farming system.
1: Hi Rob, welcome to Herds and Curds. Howdy.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you are farming Fleckvie cows. We've we've just returned from milking. We're breakfasting. And how many cows did we milk this morning?
2: Well, I hope about one hundred and twenty-two. One
1: hundred and twenty-two. Yeah. yeah, they were. They seemed about mm-hmm. accurate.
2: Yeah, that'll do. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And you have um, an unusual habit of milking once a
2: day? Yes, and I have done for 14 years.
0: Yeah. Why? Why?
2: Well, I ask, why milk twice a day? Mm -hmm. I'm not a very high-input farmer and I just feel that I'm probably just as profitable doing it this way and I've got a, a lifestyle. Once I come in in the morning, it's that's that part of the job out of the road, so yeah. No one's going to give me an award when I turn 70 if I last that long
1: yeah.
2: because I've milked cows for twice a day.
1: And so when you made that decision 14 years ago, what prompted, what do you prompted you to make that decision that you wanted more time?
2: Well, yeah, I just felt that there's got to be a better way for the, the amount of effort you put in. And it's a real, like when you look at it, it's a real commitment twice a day social life, um, whatever, mm. not that I'm big on social life, but I, I just thought, well, it's got to be a better way, and I punched into the computer once a day milking of dairy cows and New Zealand, Pontera had done four years of research.
1: And results were good, interesting results?
2: Yeah, they had, they had all the questions and the answers and um, basically said, if you want to make it work, you'll make it work.
1: And did you notice a decrease in milk quantity?
2: Uh oh, definitely, yes. You, if if you think you're not going to get a decrease in quantity, mm-hmm. you're quite foolish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I Was think, it significant?
1: Was it greater than you thought? Was it less?
2: I think when I started, the, the research indicated that you'd drop 18 or 20%. I, I think you'd want to allow 30%, um, and then it probably will even out a bit. Certain times of the year, it costs you more because... Say the middle of spring, you could probably get a lot more production. But um,
1: when you say production, is that are you referring to um, fat and protein?
2: Well, yeah, milk quantity. and and um, well, probably both because you get more quantity and therefore it will multiply out. But um, you save it quite a bit. You'd probably save a third to a half of your power bill. You you save on wear and tear on tracks, feet. Um, cattle are in better condition, so... And
1: what about their personality um, or their temperament? Does it change their temperament at all?
2: Uh, it took them probably a week until they didn't come to the gate at uh-huh. night, <laughs> but just don't look at them. That's yeah. the best <laughs> way. <laughs>
1: don't engage. Uh, yeah. No the, eye I think
2: the first months we probably were out having a coffee at milking time more often than not, <laughs> just because we could. So, yeah, I, I could never go back to twice a day milking physically and mentally it would just do me in. Mm.
1: Well, when you said that in terms of the amount of hours that, of work that you save, typically if you're milking 120 cows a day, it's, the, the milking's just shy of four hours. If you're doing that twice a day, that's a typical person's working day already done.
2: Yeah, well, like four hours at present because I've been cow- I've been cows It stretches out, but I think we were back here in under three. Yeah, well, two and a half hours we were back here. Mm. But when I do it myself, all the jobs stack on top of each other, Mm. and the cows don't want to come home at present because there's nothing in the next paddock and. There's no grass and there's no um, reason that they want to hurry.
1: And I was surprised that they were so uh, that they came in so easily because you don't actually give them any grain or any concentrate,
2: do you? No, no, it's um,
1: just. It's a pasture-based system.
2: Basically, all they did is what they can find in the paddock and some hay. Mm-hmm. No silage, no grain. When I built the the shed, I set it up to put stall gates and feeders in, but. The cost of it was just massive, and then grain grain just goes up and down. And Mm -hmm. I don't think we get paid enough to try and feed cattle grain down in this area Mm -hmm. because it's got to come from the other side of the state. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm really pleased I didn't have the money to set up a system. I think we fed some pellets once, but that was just hard work. Another import,
1: another cost.
2: Yeah, and. yeah, I, I think the problem is that I go into the winter, I've paid my hay bill, and the winter price is a bit of a bonus. I might not get a lot of milk.
1: When you say you've paid your hay bill, but you cut you cut
2: yeah, I, you buy hay. Yeah, but I, I cut it and I rake it, but I get someone to bale it, so there's that expense. But most farmers, with their grain system, they go into the winter and... If it's cold, they give them a bit more grain. Or well, you don't know what your bill, your bill can blow out, mm. and it doesn't mean that your milk's going to follow. No,
1: and of course the price of grain doesn't stay the same either. is that? No, it's very unpredictable.
2: Very it? expensive at present, I believe. Mm. I don't follow the you price of grain. You've no, been I been don't care. For a decade. <laughs> Not my problem. Because once you're in that, you're locked in. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to say, "Oh, let's just keep feeding them." and you will bring them into the shed. And... and I suppose
1: the animals are very accustomed to that as well. And
2: how do you break their cycle? Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I just, um, like a present, it's, milking is not really quick because they don't want to move out. They take their time, but there's no point upsetting them. Ngajagurujan, Underman, this <laughs> is Stephen Pigram from up Broomway, Yauru country. It's great to be down in Melbourne and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Been here for a long time. Would most farmers in this region make
1: silence?
2: Well, most do. Um, I gave up because I figured that it was um, quite a bit more expensive. And then you've got to do something with the plastic. And I Mm -hmm. thought, it's not that much longer to make good hay as it does to make silage so um, yeah that's why I did it I'm sort of perhaps I'm lazy or whatever but uh, it's all about making life easier not making it more complicated Mm -hmm.
1: and so um, a pasture based system that too is very unusual for Gipsland
2: well most people will say that they're pasture based but if you feed one or two tonnes of grain per cow a year, that's a significant amount. Sure is. So I, I think I'm truly pasture-based, whereas others perhaps not quite so. And so you, is 120
1: animals, um, is that typically what you're milking most of the
2: year? Uh, last year I milked about 160, and previous to that it was probably 180 to a bit over 200.
1: And are you purposely
2: decreasing your herbicides? Uh, yeah, keep my sanity. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, do, I, I should be milking at probably 220. I've got the area to do it, but on my system, you don't want to be overstocked mm-hmm. because I, I can't just pull the handle and feed them more. Yeah, but I'd probably be one of the lowest input systems <laughs> in the country. And that's fine. It suits me fine.
1: So your stocking rate's probably pretty low, is it? How many yeah. acres are you farming
2: on? Oh, 387 plus some leased land. But then there's young stock and whatever. But, yeah, I, I think if you can get the cattle in good condition by Christmas, they can go through. If, if, like this year, things have been tough. The cattle will look after themselves until there's some feed again.
1: Because it's unusually dry for Gippsland, isn't
2: it? Yeah, normally January, February it dries off, but um, it's been drier than normal years for the last five.
1: Having said that, outside it's now raining. Yes, that's a bit unusual. But this is the first (laughs) bit of rain for...?
2: Yeah, we haven't had... I, I think we went all of January with no rain, very unusual. Um, and we seem to have missed it. Lean Gatha South has got a lot more rain than what we have, and I think probably you go up to north of, of Warrigal, it's had more too, but it is what it is, and you just put up with it.
1: Mm-mm.
2: Either that or you get out of the caper. <laughs> and so,
1: how long have you been
2: farming? Uh, I've been here for 30 odd years, 31 years, next month, or this month, yeah.
1: And what, um, what made you choose this
2: profession? Or well, how did this profession bad, choose bad you? Luck, <laughs> bad luck, I, as I said. I had the run in with cancer and had to stay around for for checkups for five years and whatever. And, yeah, just bad luck. But you grew
1: up on a farm, didn't you? So yeah,
2: but that's probably why I figured it was bad luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and your
1: brother, he was a farmer as well. So it
2: was, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's stupidity runs in the family. <laughs>
1: And was your dad um, uh, farming the same animal that you're farming, the same breed that you're farming?
2: No, he he, um, had stud jerseys for probably 50 years or something.
1: And is that unusual for around here? Because all we see around the Gippsland area is um, uh, Holstein.
2: Well, jerseys were the predominant breed probably until the late 60s, early 70s. And from my understanding, I think they sort of fell behind when AI come in and the Holsteins did a far better job. Of, and the and Holsteins are great milk machines, mm-hmm. um, okay. give a lot of milk.
1: So also it's sort of consistent with the industrialisation of, of food systems as well.
2: And, and how we were paid, there was a lot of encouragement for quantity, maybe more so than the... the and protein percents. So it hasn't changed, or so
1: historically it was based on solids, fat, and protein, and now is it based on?
2: Well, it, it, it used to be just based on butter fat, um, but now it's fat and protein added together, kilograms of solids.
1: Why did, was that interesting then for the whole shine? Because presumably, if it's producing a lot of milk, then it's, comparatively, its yield for fat and protein is pretty low. Despite yeah, but if quantity. you
2: multiply it out with the volume, that, that we're getting more
1: okay.
2: kilos, right. say. Mm. But they're a great they're a great milk producing animal, but you've got to feed them accordingly. And mm. I don't think we get paid enough to try and fully feed them.
1: And really do, um, rely on a high input
2: system. Yeah, I I'm just really pleased I went the opposite way, mm. and. Um, Everything's simple.
1: And why were you able to do that? And why is it that other farmers feel could have locked into a um, locked into a high input system? Uh, you know, big really tractor based or?
2: Yeah. Well, everyone's. A lot of farmers really enjoy the, the machinery side of it, whereas I'm quite happy walking rather than sitting on a tractor.
1: Why is it that your low input system works? And because it's not a, a I think it's probably an unusual system today. You, it's all pasture based, your grazing, yeah.
2: isn't it? See, perhaps a lot of people would think that it's not working, but I'm still here. I pay my bills. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm I'm happy with the way I do things because it keeps life really simple. I think a lot of farmers they get to retiring age and they've got. 16 computers hanging off cows' heads and in sheds and whatever and they've really complicated the system and and it's hard to back away from it and it's hard to get someone to come in and pay the prices that you need to pay to get into farming now, so in a way you can create a bit of a monster for yourself where you've created a job that you can't get away from by the wind upon the waters and the shadows as
3: the leaves burn. When that old wind moans on a weary winter Sunday, like a friend that keeps on knocking at my home. moonlight flood crossing steepy hills and valleys. I heard the sadness in a requiem. I've been moved watching something that's been suffering, be it humankind or any living thing. From the fury of the storm, an old parched ground is reborn. The desert's blooms it satisfy a King. I've been moved by the tireless sea churning, or them scarlets of an inland dusk. Oh, when it close, friend. Died. I turned away and cried As they laid him down and shoveled in the dust.
0: You're listening to Herds and Curds on 3CR, and that was one of this country's greatest songwriters, Kev Carmody, with I've Been Moved. Carmen is currently in conversation with Gippsland dairy farmer Rob Monk, so let's head back into it.
1: So your dad had jerseys, then yeah. when you... So did you start with jerseys as well in the
2: 80s? Well, we probably started with jerseys, and anything that we bought, um, Holsteins were the, the main breed that you could buy at the stage, and then I just um, I used the um, Scandinavian red semen over those.
1: So you didn't have bulls, you had used artificial insemination?
2: Yeah, I, I used artificial insemination and bulls up until... Um, I don't know. The last six or more years, I've given up AI. And why did you make
1: that
3: decision?
2: Oh well, perhaps I'm not very good at AIing and <laughs> weren't getting the results, or probably more so. I, th- I think um, I worked on the theory that the bulls on the job 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. and I I see them for
0: What's five minutes
2: unless I want to hop in the car and go out at night, which yeah. I've never done. Mm, sure. And it, and it's an expense that on my system I don't I don't need to have the best bull in the world to build up. I just I just want cattle that are low maintenance, um, good temperament, and give me a little bit of milk to pay the bills. Okay.
1: So how did you end up with a
2: I suppose I've been willing to try different breeds and thinking the other day. I probably started with Austrian Fleckvie because they'd just come into the country and I thought I'll try some of that and that would have been probably 2003 or four. and then, don't ask me why, but apparently someone who rears calves must have found out that they were good to rear and being the dual purpose and they were paying a premium for. I oh,
1: said so they are dual purpose, they meat and milk.
2: Yeah, yeah. And that's why a lot of people don't know much about them here because oh. we're all geared up as a dairying mm. industry whereas in Scandinavia a lot of cattle are, are dual purpose. Mm. we in Europe.
1: Or historically. And not yeah.
2: And this way I, I get a premium from my bull calves and I get the heifer calf to put in the herd.
1: And are you one of few people that farm like, fee in
2: Australia? Yeah, That. Sometimes you see it written in the paper that, oh, a rare breed. Well, they're not a rare breed. They're just rare in Australia. Right. Because I think Fleckvie, which is a Cimentel-based, there's probably six different strains. I think Montbelliard, there's another one in France. It's the second biggest breed in the world next to Bos Indicus, Brahman cattle. Uh,
1: uh, so they're related to Simmental. they're related to Montbelliard. Yeah, okay, yeah. Which is yeah, classic. Well, is a... Or
2: dual-purpose breed, isn't it? Well, Simantel, we know Simantels as a beef breed that come in, out probably in the 70s or something. But in France, it's very much a milk
1: breed, isn't
2: it? Well, they're, they're more known over in, in France as, as the Montbelliard or... Oh, I forget the other name of the strain, but in in Germany and Austria. Austria's um, 80 to 90% of their dairy herd is fleppy.
1: Oh really? Yeah. And so your and your strain is the Austrian. Well, you said originally. So does that mean later
2: you changed? Well, I started with with German, and now I just buy my bulls off a guy who just uses Austrian, okay. and they're as good as the German. They're all the same breeding, really. And is he his vocal? Yeah, he lives down at Narnoona. Okay. And he's an ex ex Holstein breeder. Oh, right, he and he's
1: it. now had Speckfeed.
2: Completely selective All oh, right,
1: and what about the temperament. They've got a beautiful. They were so calm this morning. Nobody's bossy. No one. Um, everyone has came in very slowly.
2: I think they're the best breed I've dealt with, and at my age and my stage in the farming life, I'm only one injury away from retirement. So I don't, I don't need idiots around. Mm-hmm. And like the heifers, I they're not a problem to break in.
1: So a heifer is a, a cow? First calf, yeah. And often, I said to you this morning, oh, even the heifers are so calm because often after a first calving they can be just pretty wild. Oh, uh,
2: no, look, the, the, these are brilliant. Mm. I, if I had heifers from 30 years ago, I wouldn't be milking. Oh, right. No, I just wouldn't. <laughs> no, they're, they're, just don't upset them. Like anything, just don't up upset, just keep things nice and calm.
1: Well, that's a lovely philosophy for working with animals, and maybe I can tell or it's obvious that you've got this lovely, calm manner with your animals, because it is reflected in their...
2: It's taken it's years...
1: Maybe they've taught you.
2: It's taken years for yeah. me to live my game. <laughs> 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 but you just realise that you're not... If you create problems, if you, if you get wild, you just create more problems. So it's, it's better to just say, right, I calm down. Mm. And usually they've got a reason, possibly, that you've caused, that's if they right. do do something wrong. So you've got to accept that.
1: I always think that when we're in a rush, if we're milking, or when we're in a rush working with animals, that then that's when they start to actually get flabbergasted and react in ways that we don't want them to and draw no. out our milking because they're responding to our rushy vibe or...
2: Yeah, well, I I hate having a, a time limit. Yes. If I can just wander through milking and get to the end, that's great. But if someone says you've got to be finished by this time, that's when usually things you sort of <laughs> you'd push a little bit or whatever. So I have breakfast when I come home, and if it's ten o'clock, it's ten o'clock. If it's ten thirty, it's ten thirty.
1: Mm-hmm. Simple. Well, that's right. You're working with animals. It's- yeah. That can change. And
2: 122 of them. Yeah, well, that's not many, but um, it's enough by myself and my age. Mm-hmm. I'm content with that.
1: You're listening to 3CR Radio. How much milk are they producing?
2: Not a lot. Mm. Probably, I think, in the last... Uh, since it's been dried, somewhere between three and 4,000 thousand litres a cow... And that doesn't compare very well to a lot of other people who are maybe getting an 8,000-litre average.
1: What would, be tip- what would be average? Or I guess, I mean, the whole chain around this area is a kind of extreme case scenario. What would they typically be getting? Or
2: well, like the, the farmers that are right up there are probably some are averaging 10,000 litres. But
1: how long is that animal living for?
2: Oh, well, perhaps I shouldn't be saying, but some of them have a reasonably short lifespan. Not, they they expect a lot when they're young, whereas I, I tend to um, carve them at two and a half uh, rather than two
1: mm-hmm.
2: and... If she can be around when she's 10, that's fine.
1: Well, today you pointed out a cow to me that was how
2: old, do you think she's? Uh, and she's the only Holstein I've got. Yeah. Um, I think she's got to be 16 or 17, and I think she looks like she's got another three or four years. That's
1: incredible. And is that typical? It's very untypical, isn't it?
2: Well, yeah. I've, I've had cows get that old, but if they can get to 10, they've, they've paid their way.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I'm not saying they all get there, but um, that's what I would like them to do.
1: And let's talk about where your milk goes, because we've had Rachel Niedebar on Herds and Curds in the past. Um, We interviewed her, Rachel, of um, Butterfly Factory. And so she comes and picks up some of your milk, doesn't she?
2: Yes, yeah. Yeah. She comes usually two, maybe three times a week. And... um, just grabs what she needs, and
1: she just self serves. You trust her. She writes down her literature.
2: Yep. She yep.
1: Put, um, taps it off into the buckets. And
2: yeah. There's not too many people I would <laughs>
1: have, trust
2: have this system with. <laughs> I'm not saying people are dishonest, but I I I like her and trust her. And,
1: and how did that relation? How did you meet Rachel and form this um, wonderful relationship? To well, you your product?
2: I think it was a neighbourhood. Who um, was right into coffee, and they just think that this milk. And I don't like milk, so I can't. I can't vouch for this, <laughs> but they reckon that the milk is brilliant for making coffee with. Oh right. All at the barn, apparently. Okay. And um, Rachel obviously was looking for a certain sort of a product to work with, and um, come out and went from there. So.
1: And she's making beautiful, um, she's bottling your milk, so she's pasteurising your milk and bottling it and also making yogurt, isn't she?
2: Correct, yeah.
1: And potentially cheese in the future. We yeah, wait, we...
2: fairly shortly I hope the cheese starts. Yeah, I think um, it'll take time to take off, but it's happening soon.
1: Mm. Well, it's really wonderful. It's, I mean, it's a great opportunity for farmers to, to value out a pot on their product, isn't it?
2: Well, the beauty is that I'm not doing any of that. I, I just allow her to take some milk, <laughs> <laughs> so that suits me fine.
1: And the known, your name, Viking Fleckby, Can you tell us about that?
2: Well, we, we call when we started the Aussie Reds. We called it Viking Aussie Reds, and and why I called it that was our farm here, or well, my farm here is. The most northerly of what is known as the Danish settlement in Australia, which was a group of Danes um, in what eighteen seventy seven, I opened it up, and I'd worked in Denmark back in the mid seventies and. So
1: you've got a, D- a Danish connection, but it's not familial.
2: It's not. It's so not
1: familial. You've travelled. You. Yeah, you've I travelled and lived in Denmark.
2: Worked in Denmark. Yeah, I worked in Denmark and. Um, Quite a few Scandinavian trends and I just thought, well, Viking sounds a reasonable name to use. Well,
1: that's
2: a great name. So that's the reason for that.
1: Well, thank you, Rob. Um, it's been wonderful talking to you, it was wonderful to milk with you this morning. So thank, thank you. Thank you. We're home early because <laughs> yes. of
2: your assistance. A
1: lovely extended breakfast.
2: <laughs> Very good. Thank you. <laughs>
0: You've been listening to Herds and Curds with Carmen Bateson in conversation with Rob Monk of Viking Fleckvie in Gippsland, Victoria. We'd love you to tell your friends and family about Herds and Curds. You can let them know that if they're in the Melbourne area, they can find us live on 3CR 855am on the first Sunday of the month at 7am. You can also listen to Herds and Curds on the 3CR website or on your favourite podcast app. You can also check us out on Instagram for updates and videos and photos of handsome goats and cows. The music in our outro is Blue Nude by Bart Willoughby and Ross Hannaford from the Buckskin album.